This is Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. How can the arts inspire and advance the climate conversation? Art allows people to tune in, right? I think sometimes when we're enjoying ourselves or engaging with art, some of our defenses come down. Um, In particular, for me as a music artist, music is a universal language, right? But communicating about the climate crisis can be tough, even through a song, mural, or poster. It's important that people understand the severity of the issue, but it's also important that they don't feel paralyzed because it's too overwhelming. So um, I'm always trying to see how I can get the get the balance right. How can art help us connect with the reality of climate change in a different way than charts or data? Climate One's empowering conversations connect all aspects of the climate emergency. I'm Greg Dalton. Today, we talk with two well-known creators, street artist and graphic designer Shepard Ferry and Grammy-nominated hip-hop artist Mystic, about how their work fosters understanding, equity, and change. Shepard Ferry is best known for his Barack Obama Hope poster during the 2008 presidential election. His work is now included in the collections of the Smithsonian, the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and many others. Ferry says he was a rebellious youth. I asked him what punk rock taught him about art. Well, um, growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a very beautiful place, but not a progressive place, um, I was only exposed to, for a long time, to art that was um, decorative or was reinforcing a lot of the cliches of the region. My dad told me when I was a kid, you know, if you're really successful, you might one day paint the duck stamp. And that didn't didn't connect to me that much <laughs> then. Um, it actually probably connects to me more now because uh, my understanding of ecosystems, the du- you know, the the ducks place in things, um, it, you know, is is more meaningful to me now. But punk rock and skateboarding showed me a culture that was about ignoring what the mainstream was doing, using creativity to build your own your own scene and um you know and and it made it cool to have uh an honest and unvarnished voice and um and what i realized was uh all these tools of empowerment because punk rock was not supported by the dominant framework like making stencils and homemade t-shirts and stickers and flyers for promotion that this was all incredibly empowering and and so um you know that coupled with the messages from a lot of the the bands I liked in punk rock, whether it was um, the Clash or the Dead Kennedys, um, uh, Black Flag, uh, all of that. Plus, plus I, I did um, get into Bob Marley also, who had a lot of great political messages. Um, you know, this made me think about how creativity is not just to make artwork that's to match the couch, but how you can you can do something culturally with it. So a purpose more than just pleasing to the eye. When you were yeah. in college, you saw an art piece depicting the globe with a mask around it. How did that shape your environmental awareness? It made me think about the power of of symbols and how the, you know, the globe even though it seems the world seems seems vast, it's actually not that big, and that um, 
everything we, you know, we put into the air, we put into the water affects the, you know, the, the, I guess you, you know, I was considering the Gaia concept before I even knew that word, but that, you know, this Mm -hmm. is a planet that, that, uh, that breathes and it needs, it needs to be able to breathe clean air. So, um, you know, I really liked the way that each person could, could see themselves in the planet um, itself with that, with that image. And I think that the more, um, even before the internet, I realized that we're all confronted with so, so much white noise that, uh, that images that convey a message um, powerfully, iconically using, using symbols that are relatable, that was an important tool of communication. And I saw art as far too narrow and cryptic often and elitist. So um, I was always looking for examples that sort of bridged high art and that punk rock ethos that had been so important to me as a developing teenager. And we should mention for people who may not be familiar, the Gaia concept is this idea that the earth is a living living organism that's pulsing and that everything's working together as though it was a an organism. You recently completed a mural in the Arts District of downtown Los Angeles called Drink Crude Oil. Describe that mural and what you were provoking with it. Well, it's a it's a piece that um has kind of a collage aesthetic and um I looked at I look at advertising as this um insidious force of shaping people's behavior and within that piece there's a Coca-Cola bottle, but instead of it saying Coca-Cola in the same type style, it says crude oil. So it says drink crude oil. And, um, and then there's an oil derrick and a flame and, and, um, and, a, and a, a guy who looks like a, a, a soldier, but it's a gas station attendant with a, with a gas nozzle. And it says, we never stop charging. And it's making the correlation between the way that the uh, you know the economic forces and the accumul um, uh, you know of the fossil fuel industries and the accumulated power of that industry means that they can keep reinforcing their message through through advertising and lobbying um, is something that it's difficult for the average citizen to overcome and it's even difficult for governments to overcome. But within this piece, there's a woman um, uh, you could say a. a and a, an activist for environmental justice who's uh, wearing a hat with a, a flower with a globe in the middle of the flower who, um, you know, is, is in some ways like, you know, in, in this, she, she's metaphorically up against and in this piece is literally up against uh, all of this propaganda for to maintain the structure of the, uh, the, the economic and, you know, and and functional structure of how the fossil fuels industries works now. And, um, and it's something that I think uh, people, when they realize that they're pawns in someone else's plan, they go, wait a second, I don't know if I really want that. And it's one of the reasons I use obey in my work. I'm not encouraging people to obey. I'm actually encouraging them to question obedience by taking what's in the ether, which is all these different unseen forces to make you fall in line with someone else's agenda and crystallizing that into the direct command to obey so that people go, obey what? Hmm, do I really want to? 
Right. And so much of your work focuses on that concentration of power and fossil fuels are, you know, highly concentrated industry and, and a lot of uh, a lot of power. You know, how do you think about that? That's for, speaking for the climate emergency. We're up against that huge concentrated power with a lot of fragmented power. Yeah. Well, that's where it, it it's actually going to take um community organizing, voting, people choosing how to spend their money that is in a way a very a very strong message and you know and vote. <laughs> um, you know, capitalism does respond to supply and demand. So if you de- if you demand renewables or you demand electric cars, um, they will respond. But it's it's um, it's it requires a uh, you know in you know, a combination of all these things to reach a critical mass that changes the structure of, this, uh, of, of, of the fossil fuels industry and, and how we think about, about energy consumption. Um, so, you know, I'm promoting all of those things with, with different art pieces I'm making, but in, 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 in some of them, um, I'm encouraging people to vote. In others, I'm saying, you know, look at the, look at the, this, beautiful sacred environment that um that we all value and we don't want to go away and you know in other in other pieces i i might be saying think about think about your children's future um it it's uh <laughs> i'm basically using every strategy i can but it's um it's important that people understand the severity of the issue but it's also important that they don't feel paralyzed because it's too overwhelming. So um, I'm always trying to see how I can get the get the balance right in my communications, um, you know, with both the, the text and the imagery I'm using. Right. To convey urgency, but not alarm people so much that they, they shut down or that, that they get numb to that. You can't be on yeah. high alert all the time. Right. I mean, you know, um, adrenaline doesn't work that way. Right. And and the you know and the feeling of of hopelessness is very demotivating. So keeping people motivated is important. And uh, you know you have said that you embrace what you call an inside out strategy, working with the establishment. You've described kind of the outside. Describe what you mean from the inside. Well, um, for years I couldn't survive just as an artist, so I did a lot of marketing and and design projects with with corporations and. Um, you know, whenever possible, if the corporation that was approaching me liked my work and liked a lot of the ideas in my work, then I would encourage them to be 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 courageous about putting those messages out. So, in a way, using you know using their very powerful machinery to put across the messages about um, you know, equality, about environmental responsibility, about democracy that I, that I think are important. And, um, and, and then oftentimes, even though there's a fear in the corporate world that something will, uh, you know, diminish their, uh, that support with certain consumers, actually taking a stand frequently, uh, bolsters loyalty and support. So, um, even if that might not pan out that way, if for a moment I can get them to do the right thing, that's what I'm going to be <laughs> trying to encourage from, you know, my position of, of, of uh, you know, very little power, but I use what I can. 
subversive on the inside. So much of um, you know environmental messaging can be kind of righteous and and preachy. When you were creating art related to environment, you know, how do you approach that kind of not being yeah you know, holier than thou? It is a tough. It's a tough thing, and sometimes I try to use humor. I mean, I think the the you know even the drink crude oil piece has a has a little bit of uh, uh, you know dark dark humor, uh, dark sticky uh, humor. But um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a, another piece that I did based on a photograph I shot looking from uh, Williamsburg into Manhattan, and there's some factories there, and it was a really beautiful sunset. But I um, I made an illustration where the pollution from the factory is creating uh, the smoke is going into this uh, gold and orange and black sunset. And um, and then there's a couple standing there on the, uh, you know, on, on the waterfront looking across at the sunset. And the caption is um, these sunsets are to die for. Oh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that when. I, I have a little bit of humor in there, but there, you know, that's also pointed that that's a way to not just um, be on, you know, uh, a, the, the sort of Debbie Downer, um, right? And 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 have a have a cool factor, have a style to what's there. I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm taking a lot of different approaches, but rare rarely um is it is it a just save the whales um i i do want the whales to be saved but it's i'm i'm trying to find things that draw people in before they just instantly reject something as um too hippy dippy or um or or you know asking them to have to consider their their imperfection in any of their behaviors. It's more, it's more seducing people with something that maybe will get them to reflect upon it and make their own choice rather than feeling like they're being judged. You're listening to a Climate One conversation about the power of art. If you missed a previous episode or want to hear more of Climate One's empowering conversations, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your pods. Coming up, Shepard Ferry on the power of human protagonist in his work. I desperately want people to care about these issues, and I've I've tried a wide range of, of approaches with my art. And I feel like every action makes a difference, but um, but this is an issue that we we really have to break through on. That's up next when Climate One continues. This is Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton, and we're talking about the power of art in the climate crisis with Shepard Ferry. Though much of his art is focused on climate and environment, he's best known for his hope portrait of Barack Obama and gained more acclaim for posters he created for the Women's March. I asked him why he thinks his environmental work hasn't broken through in the same way those others have. Well, one, um, I think that, uh, for example, with the Obama, the, you know, the much of the world was paying attention to Obama um, uh, and had a range of feelings. But when I created a, a an image that was a good symbol for him as a human being, rather than just it being like his logo, which is a great logo for his campaign, there was a, you know, there was um, an immediately transmittable 
icon for him. And so it benefited from that. However, you know, the We the People series was based on archetypes. Um, it was saying that this Muslim woman or this uh, Latinx woman or this uh, black boy were all equally equally American, equally human, equally patriotic. And, um, and I think for a lot of people who feel like they are not well represented within, uh, you know, what it means to be American or any, any of those other things, um, you know, as well as people who want to see, uh, more inclusion, those archetypes made sense, but they were all about humanity, you know, from Obama to that, they were about humanity. And, the environment is a much more abstract idea. Yes, it's the, you know, we all live within this. It should, it, it should definitely arouse some sense of, 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 of what's at stake for humanity in us. But I think it's, um, it's less immediate. And I, I, you know, I think it's the way we find human form for almost anything that we, that we think is, uh, you know, inspiring or sacred. With some of the images I've done, that idea of uh, the human connection to the environment and things being sacred have been important to me. I did the Protect the Sacred Im- image, which was about respecting Native American tradition as well as respecting the environment based on that idea. And I know that um, within certain circles, that that image did really connect, but, um, but nothing is, I have it in my home. <laughs> so it connected. <laughs> but nothing with is broken through in the same, in the same way as, like you said, as, as those other images. And Hey, if there's anybody that thinks they have the winning formula, I'm open to suggestions because I desperately want people to care about these issues. And I've, I've tried a, a wide range of, of approaches with my art. And I feel like every action makes a difference, but, um, but this is an issue that we, we really have to break through on. Um, and, and, you know, some of the, some things that are going to compromise life on this planet might already be too late to fix, but we we're an innovative people. So we have to encourage people to care and to take action. And that's, uh, you know, that's from the most brilliant scientific minds to, you know, to somebody that just changes a minor aspect of, 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 you know, their habits around energy consumption. But we, we're probably all going to have to do something. Right. I think if you ask a lot of people on the street, you know, quick, uh, without thinking, what do you think of uh, climate change? They would think of polar bear, maybe a smokestack, a human face. It's not easy to come up with a human face, even a villain, right? You know, environment is seen as outside of us, over there, separate somehow. We're not part of it. Well, uh, very true. But several of the pieces I've made have used, um, you know, a protagonist within them, because I know that portraiture is alluring for people. So whether it was the drink crude oil or um, several, uh, several other images, there's one I did called Raise, called Raise the Level that is, my wife is in it. Um, another one called Fan the Flames with a woman with a, with a fan with, with a globe on fire within the, within the, within the fan. Um, and it's not encouraging people to fan the flames. It's saying, you know, we continue to fan the flames, unfortunately, that, um, you know, for all the, for all the things that we're, you know, that we're doing, there's a lot we're not doing. And, um, I don't want to discourage, 
uh, people because I think they, you know there's stuff that's happening that's encouraging, but we need we need to do more. And um, so all of all of these things are hopefully ways for people to see how uh, every individual's actions make a difference and how there is a, a very human connection to this issue. It's not just about uh, polar bears or or um, leopards that are endangered or, and, and all of those things I think af- affect people emotionally and might actually be the prime driver for some people. But I think it's, it requires a lot, um, you know, a lot broader uh, of a sort of uh, <laughs> swath portfolio of approaches in order to, to touch everyone. The climate conversation is often driven by facts and charts, and although I think you know, it does have you know human dramatic elements to it, you know, how do you think about the relationship between art and facts, and how people are able to receive them? Well, um, I, I wish people were driven more by facts, and um, I claim to be, but I know I'm very emotionally driven, just like everyone else. We, we. We feel things and then we look for an intellectual justification for those feelings. And that's why we can be led astray so easily um, by nefarious forces. Now, um, when someone with what I think is a, a, an altruistic intent can make something that's emotionally resonant, that leads somebody to then um, care about facts that maybe that same person is presenting, that's a beautiful thing. That's what I'm striving for often. And, um, but I know that I have to lure people in with something that connects emotionally. You got to start obviously with obey the giant and sort of, you know, uh, cropping up in, in public spaces and have done a lot of your work in those public spaces. Um, and, and climate is a tragedy of common public space. We are pumping pollution into the, the global commons, the air and the, and the water. Uh, individuals at every scale, personal, corporate, national, are acting ways that are rational for that themselves and damaging to the public, to the commons. So I'm curious how you think about that parallel between public space, you know, as, as an artistic expression and public space that's being polluted by, by our activities. Well, um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I've, I've considered a lot. And I always felt as a, as a street artist that the public space is really meant to, you know, be for the community. It's and anybody that participates in, um, d- you know, democracy can appreciate the idea that we all should be able to shape what we're, what the, our world looks like, um, or at least what our communities look like. And yet, corporate advertising and government signage were pretty much the only visual communications in in public space. And I always thought there should be more art. And I initially said, "Well, I'm going to do that with or without permission." And now I get invited to do things. But um, one of the things a lot of people don't consider about these commons. Um, and it's something I learned about from my friend, Adam Wareback, who is the youngest president of the Sierra club is, um, that, you know, that idea of common assets, air and water that we, we all need to be healthy yet certain, um, companies really benefit, uh, financially from polluting or, or destroying and these, these common assets. And so, um, the way people should think about that is that, um, you know, these, these are owned by all of us yet. Um, 
they're they're compromised by um, predominantly by uh, a you know very powerful few and. Um, and yes, we all can decide what kind of car we want to drive. And those, those few often say, yeah, yeah, it's your carbon footprint. You know, it's because you drive an SUV, but really we need to be thinking not only about, you know, how we're contributing to these, to the maintenance of these common assets or the health of these common assets, but also, um, how we need to vote to make sure that, um, the people who wreck the environment also pay to restore it. Shepard Ferry is a renowned artist and activist, perhaps best known for his 2008 Hope portrait. You were born in Charleston, South Carolina, where seas are rising at an accelerating rate. Now, an inch every two years, floods are increasing, sometimes making the hospital inaccessible. Your dad's a doctor. Your family still lives in Charleston. How do you feel about you know, your home being threatened? Well, I... You know, I feel the same way about it as I feel about Bangladesh being threatened and about New Orleans being threatened. Um, you know, my luckily my parents have always cared about the environment, and they're they they're sort of moderate. They don't like to rock the boat, but they're um, but they you know they, they 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 believe in truth. They believe in protecting the environment for future generations. And um, you know, Charleston is an extraordinary place. I think a lot of people who live there and and even people who would visit there would like to not see it submerged um but you know the 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 collective will has to be there to 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 um you can't just build the battery in Charleston higher which there's one of the things they're talking about my parents lived right there where the waves crash over during hurricanes um i've been i've i've been through several of them myself. Um, it's terrifying. And, um, and, you know, hurricanes have happened, but they're intensifying. And if you live through it, you know, the, the, the feeling of powerlessness is, um, is really, is really traumatic. And, um, you know, I, I think that we need to be considering that a lot of these things are intensifying and that, um, not only is it going to be bad for our parents, it's going to be bad for displacing populations all over the planet. So if you, um, you know, if you're soft on immigration, great, you know, be welcoming. And if you're not soft on immigration, maybe you should consider climate as something that you take seriously. Um, <laughs> right. It's going to bring a lot of people north. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and, 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 um, you know, I don't know if I want the Floridians migrating to California or, uh, it, it, you know, or, or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but um, already people is, are moving out of Florida. Some are going to Michigan and to places that are. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is this is serious stuff, and um, I, I just see the in the need for um, immediate but but incremental change to be something that. People need to consider how much less of a um, of a difficulty that is, um, and how adaptable we can be now. If we keep moving now and we move more quickly now, then um, you know, then when potentially there's a critical mass for some things that are um, are, are you know are unstoppable, and um, and if they are to be stopped, require a a brutal brutal compromise in things that um 
that, you know, that we now define as our way of life. How concerned are you personally about climate disruption? Do you lose sleep over it? Do you think it'll affect you directly, personally, or is it already? Well, I mean, it's affecting some of my decisions about what car I drive, how far away from my house is my studio. But these are these are things that I'm just looking at as how to be responsible. It's, I mean, I just was reading an article yesterday about how Joshua trees are disappearing from Joshua tree because they can only take so much. And, um, you know, this is heartbreaking. A lot of people don't understand how fragile everything is that we're, you know, that we're living in, that we take for granted. It's fragile. And so um, this is how it's affecting me psychologically, that I'm, I'm realizing that um, we as a species are not, we're not as thoughtful as we should be. And, and that the, uh, the fragility of things is, is something a lot of people aren't considering Speaking of fragility, you read the book, White Fragility, and have been working to understand your own privilege. You're reading John Lewis's autobiography, I think. Now, what have been some recent revelations for you about your own power as a white man, and what are you doing to be a good ally to people of color? Well, uh, I've been making work since I grew up in Charleston, where they started the Civil War, and it's very racially divided economically. Um, I've been aware of racism almost my whole life. And yet I learned a lot in the last little over a year, I guess, or yeah, a little over a year, right? Um, George, George Floyd was killed a little over a year ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, because I'm a white straight male, I have, I had a lot of blind spots. Um, Me too. Me too. Yeah. And, and so you know, working with a lot of racial justice organizations, collaborating with artists of color, um, trying to make sure that I'm not, um, whether it's Native Americans or any other people of color that um, I'm supporting rather than taking the microphone or the spotlight. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, This is all stuff that it, you know, I'm thinking about in a more, I think, a more precise, sophisticated way now. And because I, I do believe that equality is uh, anything short of equality in, in, on every front is, um, is uncivilized. Um, I, you know, I care about all of this. And even when it makes me have to admit that there were th- things I took for granted or things that make me uncomfortable about how to, um, how to forsake privilege, um, that I need to do it. Um, because otherwise I'm not practicing what I preach and, and, and that's important to me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotions and sometimes I feel, um, I, I, yeah, I, my feelings are hurt by, uh, uh, you know, people misinterpreting some of my um, some of my statements or some of my efforts as me trying to be a, a white savior. I just want to, I just want to be a good ally. I want things to be more fair and I'm always open to hearing better ways to do it. I'm listening. Street artist and graphic designer Shepard Ferry recently joined us for a Climate One live event. 
You can find the full conversation on the videos page of our website. Today, we're talking about the power of art in responding to the climate emergency. Coming up, hip-hop artist Mystic talks about the value of humor in dire times. How do you make the climate crisis funny, right? Something that's not funny at all. How can we talk about it in, in ways that, that open up where people can think about it in different ways and we can start to have conversation? That's up next when Climate One continues. Mystic is a Grammy-nominated hip-hop artist, community educator, and a program manager with the Hip Hop Caucus. The Hip Hop Caucus is a national as well as international nonprofit organization that is um, really engaged in human rights work and civil rights work. One of our core areas is um, the climate crisis and pursuing climate justice. And we have a films division, and I am the program manager for that films division. Um, and the films division focuses on and produces films connected to climate justice and the climate crisis. Right. And we'll get into that. I think most people think of hip hop in terms of music, but it's really a broader cultural movement, right? Absolutely. Um, I am a hip hop artist and I have been a hip hop artist for, oh my goodness, almost 30 years now. Hip hop as a culture contains many different elements. It's the MCs, it's the DJs, it's the B-boys and B-girls, it's the it's the graffiti and the wall art. Um, you know, it's a it's a vast and dynamic and beautiful, beautiful culture. And so at the caucus, we believe, and I also believe individually as a hip hop artist, that the culture, hip hop culture, can be used to engage our communities around justice, around healing, around knowledge building and sharing. So hip hop is a is a powerful, powerful culture and medium. And many people think of the performers are are often black, but white people account for, I believe, the majority of hip hop listeners. So is the caucus reaching, you know, across the racial divide and engaging them on climate and other issues? Yeah, we definitely are at the Hip Hop Caucus. We want to engage the communities that are being most impacted by inequalities and injustice. It's not simply engaging because we recognize the challenges that exist, but because the solutions are often coming from the communities that are being most impacted, um, you know, and in, in this context, um, impacted by the climate crisis. And so, Sure, hip hop embraces everybody, but the organizing that work that we do in the Hip Hop Caucus is an advocacy organization. The organizing that we do is is absolutely targeted to um, Black, Brown, Indigenous, and economically vulnerable communities. When we spoke before, you said you you can't have a revolution without art. You can't have uh, change without art. So, how can art change the trajectory of the climate emergency? Art plays in, in its many different manifestations, right? It plays this role of opening up pathways for communication and understanding. It helps to shift the culture that is felt in the community, in the room. It can shift the culture of, um, help to shift the culture in the context of legislation and policymakers. Art allows people to tune in 
right? I think sometimes when we're enjoying ourselves or engaging with art, some of our defenses come down. Um, in particular, for me as a music artist, music is a universal language, right? I've had the privilege to study in South Africa and to work with children in Haiti and children and youth and in, in indigenous youth in Canada and, you know, children in various parts of the nation. And part of what I know is that um, people sing along to songs, whether they mm -hmm. understand what the words are saying, but that <laughs> the art itself is a bridge. It helps to build a bridge across man-made borders and, and the beautiful variety of cultures that exist. I also think that art allows, right, like art, art is also the voice of the unheard and the, uh, the excluded, um, if we're using it right. Right. And if we understand the power of what that art is, art has this unlimited power to open up to open up conversations so that we can work collectively. I also understand having engaged in research on culturally relevant arts education, that there are people who also use art that because it's so powerful, people can also use art to kind of subvert the will of the people and to push forward, you know, authoritarian messages or, you know, so we have to be careful and we have to understand that art can be powerful no matter who is using it. Right. We talk in this episode with Shepard Ferry, who talks about the potential for art to be propaganda. While you're primarily known as a musician, you're also the program manager for the Hip Hop Caucus Think 100% Films Division. So can you yeah. talk about uh, the, you know, different art forms and how they can reach people in different ways? Yeah, so our first um, film from from Think 100% Films is called Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave, um, which is a comedy special. Um, but I want to be clear that it is not a film that was simply um, developed and 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 put together to be an organizing tool. It grew out of an organizing project in Norfolk, Virginia, in the Hampton Roads area. And so to use comedy, which can kind of, again, bring down our defenses. And, and in the comedy special, it's how do you make the climate crisis funny, right? Something that's not funny at all. How can we talk about it in, in ways that that open up where people can think about it in different ways and we can start to have conversation. It's also in this rich, rich tradition, um, the use of comedy in, in Black movements, the civil rights movement um, on the Chitlin circuit and in various other ways that comedy allows us to, to survive what is so painful. You know, sometimes you have to laugh to stop from crying, this kind of gallows humor that we yeah. all know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave is really about joy as part of resistance. And in, in a time where we have multiple pandemics that are intersecting, um, you know, COVID and police brutality and pollution and poverty, we still need to be able to thrive um, in our communities and and. The comedy special as uh, expression of art and film as visual storytelling and visual narratives, you know, open up this opportunity to laugh and also recognize that the community in which it was filmed is sinking and floods even on sunny days. And so, yeah, we can laugh and this is part of Joya's resistance, but let's also 
raise the awareness and let's also continue to organize. This is a this is a call. This is an emergency that's happening. Um, and we need to understand that the climate crisis is not just in other places in the world, but it's happening in communities in in our nation, in black communities. Well, one of the best lines in Ain't Your Mama's Heat Waves is Mamadou and Jaye talking about how white people rank their environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to tell you just a report from these white climate crisis rooms, what they worry about. Straws, sea turtles, black people. <laughs> it's not a good order. So that that's a hilarious and somewhat uncomfortable example of comedy speaking truth to power. Yeah, well, I mean, it's important to to continue to recognize and discuss that there are there are, you know, currents that, you know, we have a history of white supremacy in this country that is still here. And the, the environmental movement has often been white led and exclusionary. And part of what was put together to engage people was to center animals as opposed to humans, right? And again, this comedy special filmed in a community that is full of Black people, that is sinking, who are being displaced and saying, look, folks still care mostly about these turtles and polar bears, but we have Black people here. And as Black people, we are worthy and valuable, and we deserve to have our issues in connection with the climate change addressed, right? In in a way that preserves culture, that preserves um, dwellings, that contributes to improvements in health, right? Like Black people are are worthy. And so we laugh about it, right? Like, yeah, they care about the animals and not the Black people. It is painfully funny, but it's the brilliant use of comedy and that platform, that room, the people who were listening when it was filmed were primarily Black folks. And everybody gets that, yeah, they don't really see us as being valuable. So that that's that beauty of comedy for what's painful turning it into something funny so we can kind of talk about and explore what that is. And I think relief because climate is, is you know, heavy to hold and yeah. think about all the time. I wish there was more climate comedy because it, it pierces, it gives us permission to laugh and release the things that we're holding that we may not even know we're holding. And we need that comic relief because climate is dark. And I think if we could laugh about it, we might talk about it more. I agree with you. I mean, I think that's the point of of Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave, right? Is let's let's laugh about it, but let's also understand and we get that relief and we can practice and joy, but that it opens up a space for us to talk about what's really hard. And I also think that it lowers defenses, right? When we're laughing, it also literally releases like endorphins within our body that I think can help us help make us feel. Um you know, feel maybe more open and better. I don't have the scientific research to say that specifically. And as far as we know, Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave is the first comedy special that is connected to the climate crisis. And it, it's absolutely the first Black one. Mystic is a Grammy-nominated hip-hop artist, community educator, and a program manager with the Hip-Hop Caucus. 
I've been learning a lot lately about different modes of communication here. We're, we're talking about art and music and, and uh, street art. Traditionally, most science communication, and this includes a lot of climate communication, is followed, follows the information deficit model. If we just give people more information, that's what's needed to affect change. And then there's sort of the empathy or emotional deficit model. If we uh, can get people to feel more, that will prompt action. I'm curious how you think about this as a as a musical artist, and now you're involved in film. That emotional connection versus, and you know, do you need to get people to feel more or know more? Right. There is so much information that's being that's hitting us from all angles in in, in where we are. Right. Whether it's via social media or the radio or in our communities, we're constantly being bombarded with with information. And that can be an overload. You know, scientific research and when it's presented in this kind of we need more information, the, the understanding that information is not guaranteed. It's not that people lack intelligence. It's just how do you take that science and that data and apply it to your everyday life and what you're experiencing? Like, what does that science and data mean when your community floods even on sunny days, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of the power of, of music and film and just creativity and culture is that that is about connecting on an emotional, an emotional level. But you also have to take an approach like, look, typically my verses are 16 bars. I can't try to fit in there the science, right? As an academic, I can actually read some of those scientific documents and understand There's no the footnotes data. in your lyrics, right? right? Yeah. There's no footnotes in my, in my lyrics, but that it's figuring out I don't just create my art for myself. It's it's about communication. And so I think in some ways it's it's equally if not more powerful than just offering more information that is in the form of data and scientific language. When you can use art more people can connect with that. They can gravitate to it and it can be cool and it can make you move and it can make you understand in a different way, um, what's happening. You know, when we talk about the climate movement or the environmental movement um, more broadly, there have often been disconnects between the crisis that we're facing and what's happening. And then how do we create um, information, information and knowledge and resources that is culturally relevant and, and responsive in ways that the communities that we want to communicate with can receive what we're trying to say, right? How do you know if your art has any effect? It connected, it can emotionally connect, but how do you know if it causes change? And do you have any specific examples of when art has really changed someone's mind or really had a tangible impact? I, I probably have more than we could talk about <laughs> in the space of this, of this conversation. Um, I have fans across, you know, kind of areas maybe that people wouldn't expect, but people who are police officers and people who work in government as well. <laughs> and they too will have conversations. They'll maybe ask me and challenge me about something I've said or say, hey, I'm not that, I'm not that kind of person, right? But that they've come to me and said that listening to my music has given them ways, different ways to think about our communities. 
and to think about the ways that they serve. And maybe it's not the art itself, but the being an artist and being nominated for awards, um, but being an artist who has always used my platform in connection with justice, it might not be the music, but it's my platform that gets me into the room to speak with politicians, that gets me into the room to be able to, to speak to um, what is on the table in terms of legislation and the importance of it and to advocate for what our communities, our communities need. So I think it's, it's broad and diverse. It's literally the music impacts people and what they believe in and how we heal, but that the platform opens up these opportunities for me to speak with people in positions of power. So as we as we wrap up, I'm just curious, you know, how do you measure the success of your own artistic endeavors? And, you know, what keeps you up? What gives you, what do you do? How do you deal with your own sort of, you know, um, roller coaster of hope and fear around climate? In terms of measuring my own success as an artist, the success was in the first person who didn't kill themselves because they saw some light and opening for healing in my music, right? Mm. To even save one life mm. means that mm -hmm. my art, my craft has been successful, right? In the most intimate, intimate way. That's power. Yeah. And, and then I would also judge the success of my art on um, how it inspires community and how it helps to build community. Um, in terms of my fear and kind of the heaviness in connection with the climate crisis and how I, how I try to keep my balance, um, and I actually talk about it as a state of grace, right? Um, fine, and I, I, I say, find your grace and stand in it. I draw, like, I'm able to deal with the heaviness and just like, you know, the darkness of it all because the children are so inspiring. I literally mean the children, right? As somebody who during COVID and prior to COVID was a lead kindergarten teacher facilitating arts, you know, the whole world can be falling down around you. Um, but you still have to find the joy and the magic. And so they give me hope. They give me faith. They make me understand that me being broken doesn't actually serve a purpose of moving forward. And so as somebody who has experienced pain and a lot of sadness, the climate crisis is like one huge additional layer. But like I know and believe that we must hold on to our joy. We must practice joy um, on a daily basis. And so that's how I that's how I navigate through it. But it's also I want to say that it's not about denying when you you just something happens or a piece of legislation gets pushed or there's a storm um, or a climate event that results in a massive loss of lives and destruction of communities. It's OK to, you know, cry and and, and be in that place. But, you know, then we move ourselves back. To, to to stand in our grace, right? And then we can go make art about it. And so, yeah, the art is a massive piece of how I make it through. Well, thank you so much, Mystic, for sharing your, your story and your insights. Thank you, Greg.
On this Climate One, we've been talking with hip-hop artist Mystic and street artist and graphic designer Shepard Ferry about the power of art in responding to the climate crisis. To hear more Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Please help us get people talking more about climate by giving us a rating or review. It really does help advance the climate conversation. Brad Marshland is our senior producer. Ariana Brocious is our producer and audio editor. Our audio engineer is Arnav Gupta. Our team also includes Steve Fox, Kelly Pennington, and Tyler Reed. Gloria Duffy is CEO of the Commonwealth Club of California, the nonprofit and nonpartisan forum where our program originates. I'm Greg Dalton. <laughs>